just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do all the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Evening, friends. My name's Gav. I'm at the Gledswood Hills congregation. Oh, I think they're going to... Thank you. It's all good. Thanks. <laughs> I look after the Gledswood Hills congregation, which is my great joy and blessing. I look forward to seeing you all there on Christmas Day. I hear you're all coming. That's going to be great. Woo! I'll see you all there. Um, hasn't Kez done a great job of decorating and the tables looked fantastic and thank you to all who contributed to tonight and brought food and everything um, what a fantastic idea it was to have christmas a week early i love i love christmas time um so it's good to celebrate a week early and can i add my congratulations to sam and sarah and caleb and uh, my prayers are with you for the next 20 odd weeks uh, the baby will be delivered safely into the world let me pray for us as we come to this passage. We're continuing our uh, meander through 2 Thessalonians, which we started two weeks ago. So it's not a particularly Christmassy sermon. Sorry about that if that's disappointing. It's just how it goes. Uh, but I think it's a good word from the Lord here for us all and an encouraging word. So let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you that your word is true. It's trustworthy. We need not doubt it, we need not be sceptical about it, we can come to your word with confidence and we come to your word with confidence tonight and pray that you clear our mind of distractions, help us to focus on what you have to say to us by your Holy Spirit, to hear it, please ready our hearts and please help us to be willing to change if necessary, uh, to live our lives in a way that pleases you more and more. Uh, 
by the power of your Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. My passage tonight is all about how we ought to live as followers of Jesus whilst we await his return. He's coming back, we're told, we're told soon, but we don't know when, we learned last week. But we know he is coming back. We learned in chapter 1 he definitely hasn't come back yet. Um, and we also learned that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can expect suffering and persecution uh, whilst we await Jesus to come back. And you might experience this in your school or university or workplace or family. Um, people don't like the fact that you live for Jesus and they give you a hard time about that. Uh, it's rare in Australia to suffer physical violence for following Jesus, though in other parts of the world that's a reality. But for us, more and more, we are being persecuted and we do suffer for following Jesus. In the second chapter, last week, we learned that Satan is at work in the world and, and also in the church. And that's another way we can know that Jesus hasn't returned yet because Satan is still at work in the world and amongst, even amongst God's people. And Paul says as much himself. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, from memory. That can't be right. Oh, yeah. 1 to 18, the first, first, his first letter. Satan is the tempter, he's the accuser, the one seeking to restrain Christians, to hold them back from living the way Jesus would have us live. He's trying to hold us back. But we learn we've also got God on our side. And in his word and in his spirit, we have the tools to oppose the evil one who prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I was talking to a lady this morning. She was asking me about the sermon, this sermon. And um, she said, does that mean that Satan's actually at work when we're gathered for church? And I said, well, he might try, but he's going to be most ineffective when we're gathered together as brothers and sisters in Christ and gathered together around his word. That's when we're strongest. That's when our defense is greatest. So it's good to be in God's word that defends us. It's good to be gathered together with brothers and sisters in Christ, like soldiers who stick with their platoon or sheep, who stick with their flock, we're safest from the evil one's advances when we're together. So knowing we don't know when Jesus will return, but we know for sure that he will, Ben talked about it earlier as well, he will return, how are we to live? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives in light of this hope that we have in Christ? Well, that's what chapter 3 is all about. And I have to say, I think we're already doing it. As a church at Night Church, I think we're very much on about what Paul says we ought to be on about. So this is a sermon of encouragement to you to keep on doing what you're doing. There's two things that Paul says in this chapter that we ought to be on about. And the first is to keep spreading the word about Jesus, to keep spreading the gospel. Well done those who delivered flyers, well done those who've invited people to church. Well done, most of all, if you've shared the gospel with your friends, which is bold and courageous, and you actually have to know the gospel first to do it. So well done if you're sharing the gospel with your friends. If you look in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul has a humility to ask the church to pray for him. This is the amazing Paul who wrote half the New Testament, not quite, wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he needs prayer, and he knows he needs prayer. I'm always a little bit discouraged when in growth group I say, how can we pray for you? And someone says to me, uh, I think I'm all right. Well, Paul didn't think he was all right, and he was pretty good. 
He, he needs prayer and he asks for prayer in two different ways. Look at verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. Paul's prayer, Paul wants prayer that the gospel will spread rapidly. That's the first thing he wants prayer for. Literally, he, he personifies the gospel here. He says, I want to see the word run quickly out throughout the community and through the nation so that people will turn to Christ. Like a Kathy Freeman gospel. Now, I realise how dated this, uh, this image is tonight. It went, down, it went down a treat this morning once the 50-year-olds. But tonight, hands up if you know who Kathy Freeman is. Oh, okay, well, that's most people. That's pretty good. I was going to say, think a Sonic the Hedgehog gospel, right? <laughs> this is Kathy winning gold at the 2000 Olympics 23 years ago. Um, the nation loved Kathy. We all cheered for her as she ran quickly and she won gold. It was fantastic. Um, what a great prayer that Paul's asking for the Christians in Thessalonica to pray for him, that the gospel will run quickly and spread quickly amongst our community. What a great prayer to pray at Christmas, that the gospel will spread quickly amongst our community. The flyers will be received with thanksgiving and people will come along to the carols and church and hear the gospel and be led to repentance and faith and know the hope and that we have in Christ. We love the gospel. We love to see it succeed and grow We've all heard the gospel, as someone has told us faithfully at some point, and we've all believed in the gospel. If we can believe, surely anyone can. I mean, look at us, what a motley crew. If we can put our trust in Jesus, anyone can. So why not hundreds more in our community put their trust in Jesus? Um, years ago, back when Moses was a lad, I was the minister of this church. And in my first year as minister of this church in 2012, we had nine people come along to night church in the middle of winter. There was nine of us. And then, praise God, two people turned up late. So we had 11, boosted our numbers by 20%. Um, and we sat in a circle. We didn't sit like this because that would have been weird with only nine people. And uh, we sang and we heard God's word. And look how much we've grown from those nine people about a decade ago to now why not grow another what are we, five-fold, six, you know. There could be 400 of us in 10 years' time. Why not? The gospel could grow. We must pray. The second thing that Paul asked prayer for in those first couple of verses is protection. Paul asked for Protection. Preaching the gospel came a great personal risk for Paul. Uh, he suffered, <laughs> he suffered greatly. Um, preaching the gospel, he suffered personal injury on multiple occasions. Preaching the gospel, we don't fear that, but we do fear persecution. And so we need to pray for one another that we'll be bold even in the face of persecution or ridicule. ridicule. The Jewish leaders opposed Paul at every turn. It was them who plotted the death of our Lord. Now, perhaps you remember in Acts 21 that we preached a few months back. You don't remember? It's okay. Paul's companions begged him not to go to Jerusalem because they feared for his safety, and Paul knew he was in danger too, but he went anyway, even in the face of danger, with God by his side, and he was seized by the Jews soon after his arrival in Jerusalem. But he says this in verse 3, The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. 
Paul knows that God is with him. He knows that Satan's at work trying to restrain him, but he also knows that God is with him. Satan's trying to hold his church back, but God's gospel cannot be stopped and his kingdom continues to grow. So Paul's prayers, the gospel was spread rapidly, like Kathy or Sonic, that will be honoured and that God will guard his people from the one who's trying to restrain them. So that's two things to be praying for one another, that the gospel will go out, that we'll be protected as we take it out. Missional living, missional living. Secondly, obedient living. The second thing and final thing that Paul wants to see the church doing is obeying the gospel. Five times he mentions the word command or obey in this section, uh, 4 to 15. And the the reality is if we're going to be mission-minded, if we're going to be inviting our friends to church and that kind of thing, and we're going to be saying to them, hey, you should put your trust in Jesus and submit your life to him, well, we need to make sure our life is in submission to him first, right? We need to have that integrity. If we're going to call people to repent, to live for Jesus, we need to make sure we're living for Jesus ourselves. So the context for verses 4 to 15 is a church not unlike ours. It's full of people who are faithfully living for Jesus, working hard for him. But in this church, in the church in Thessalonica, there's a few people that aren't. They're not pulling their weight. They're not contributing to the church. It's not clear why from the passage, but it is clear that they're being idle, lazy, still, not serving, not working. Some think it was because they thought Jesus was coming back any second. They were sure he was coming back any second. So why bother work if Jesus is going to come back any minute? What's the point? We don't, we're not sure why they're not being lazy, but we just know they are. Now, we know from chapter 1 that false teachers had convinced some people that Jesus' return was imminent, but that was 2,000 years ago. So clearly they were false teachers. Jesus has still not returned. But here we have this church of faithful people but a few lazy people. And we've got these uh, few verses. And Paul uh, teaches to them, Paul talks to them in kind of different groups. So we're going to go through um, and look at these five different sections or subsections. In verses 4 to 5, Paul addresses the whole church. If you look with me in your Bibles, verses 4 to 5, whole church, so the idlers and the, the faithful and everyone. We have confidence in the Lord, you are doing and will continue to, continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. On the whole, Paul is confident of the love and faithfulness of the Thessalonians. We see that very clearly in chapter 1 and also in the first letter. He expresses that very warmly and he fully expects that God will continue to lead their hearts by his Holy Spirit and by his word. And he expects the Thessalonians will keep on following along, following the gospel following God's leading by his Holy Spirit. I try to walk my dog often. He's a Kelpie. He's got lots of energy. And one of the parks we walk through in Gregory Hills is called Lavala Park, and it's pretty quiet usually. So if no one's around, I sneak the lead off because he likes to run around and have a bit of a sniff. And he's very obedient because he is smiling warmly because she's walked him lots of times as well because she's very kind to Rexy. Um, I let him off and he has a sniff and if you get too far ahead, he just kind of catches up. Does anyone play Minecraft? He's like a Minecraft dog. When they get too far behind, they just zoop, they just catch up. He's like that. Um, if you don't play Minecraft, sorry. Um, he just, he always follows along. He, he doesn't stray too far. He always catches up. He always follows along. He's a good dog. 
He knows I love him and he knows I'm going to protect him and look after him. And so he always, well, almost always, always obeys me. Love inspires obedience in my dog. Love inspires obedience in God's people. Love is the best motivator for obedience, not a big stick. If we know our parents or our teachers or our ministers or our tennis coach, I used to have one of those, or, or our God loves us, we will be eager to obey them, to do what they say. And this is generally Paul's expectation and experience of the church in Thessalonica and my experience of the church here in Smeaton Grange. People inspired by love to obey Christ. So verses 6 to 9 is where Paul addresses the faithful majority of the church, okay? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so it would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Paul commands the faithful ones to steer clear of the unfaithful ones. Some are idle, some are lazy, they're even causing trouble and being disruptive. Now, obviously, Paul's not referring to people who can't work for whatever reason. They've, um, they're elderly or they've crushed their bike in a triathlon and their arm's broken. He's not talking about those kinds of people. He's talking about people who can work, but they're choosing not to. He's talking about people who should know better and as followers of Jesus should do better. And because they're lazy, they're not working, they're becoming troublesome as well. They're, they're, they're holding back the hard workers and the faithful ones. Paul says, steer clear of these people, stay away from them in the sense of not following their example. He's not talking about excommunication from the church. He's talking about avoidance of these people. Paul and the apostles have given people an example. They've worked hard amongst the church. They haven't taken... They had the right to... to only work in the church and not work a secular job and depend on the church uh, for their needs, as our ministers do, which is good and right. But to go over and above, they laboured and toiled day and night to set an example, a model of, of hard work, of faithful work in the Lord. But still, some people in the church are not following along. It still isn't effective for some. So Paul instructs the faithful ones to steer clear of the lazy idlers so that they don't get caught up in their idleness and also so that they don't unknowingly affirm them in their idleness. They should know better. Paul had laid out the commandments already. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. Wow. I used to work in a newspaper factory. Uh, a long time ago. Uh, I was there for six years and it was common for tradesmen to say of people, of other tradesmen who were lazy or incompetent, oh, that bloke's not worth feeding, they used to say, of these people. And the point is, it's an exaggeration, but the point is that it's frustrating when people won't pull their weight and, you know, they shouldn't be fed, let them starve. Paul's not, 
Paul's not endorsing starving people to death, but he's trying to make a point that you ought to work hard if you want to receive. Paul turns his attention to the unfaithful idlers in verses 11 to 13. Look with me. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Here's the heart of our passage. Having no work to do of their own, it seems they're interfering with other people, they're becoming busybodies, they're in other people's business being annoying, they're meddlesome in other people's affairs, and he commands them in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's no stronger exhortation on the face of the earth, friends. Not a word from the school principal or the general of the army or the prime minister himself. This command from Paul is in effect a directive from God himself. Don't be lazy in God's church. That's the word to God's people. Don't be lazy in God's church. And to those who aren't lazy, verse 13, never tire of doing what is good. Keep at it. Never tire of doing what is good. I wonder, have you ever been at a team where someone's lazy and you kind of have to compensate for their laziness? Maybe a sporting team, maybe a school team of some description, or a uni team, maybe a work team, maybe a church team. You've had to cover for them because of their laziness. They're not pulling their weight. Like two people rowing a boat, but one isn't actually rowing. It makes for hard work. (laughs) I think he's having a good time rowing with his... But you get the point, right? When you're working hard in a team or trying to at work or sport or family or church and others aren't pulling their weight, it's frustrating. It can be tempting to stop rowing yourself, can't it? If you're not going to row, I'm not going to row. But Paul says, never tire of doing what is good in the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't do the right thing because others are doing the right thing. And don't do, the right, don't do the wrong thing because others are doing the wrong thing. Live for Jesus in all things. Never tire of honouring the one who loved you, even unto death, and who loves you still in his glorious resurrection and ascended state. And give space for the judge of the universe to deal with the idlers. Finally, in this section, a strong instruction for the sake of the idol, verses 14 and 15. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them them, in order they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Disobeying God is a public matter in the church when it's affecting others in the church. Disobeying God is a public matter in the church when it's affecting others in the church. Now, this instruction to again steer clear of the idler seems stronger, doesn't it? Don't associate with them in order they might feel ashamed, in order that they might notice that they're the only one behaving this way and everybody else isn't, in order that they might notice that good godly people are steering clear of them 
in their laziness or their sinfulness, and they might feel ashamed. When a gossiper starts gossiping, walk away. When a slanderer starts slandering the church or the minister or someone in the church, shut them down. When someone from church is clearly and unrepentantly living in sin, encourage them to stop. And if they won't, don't associate with them. I can't do coffee anymore with you, I'm sorry. You're living in sin and you won't stop. I can't take walks together with you anymore, I'm sorry. You're living in sin and you won't stop. Do all you can to encourage them to stop sinning, but if they refuse, don't associate with them. So they might feel ashamed and repent and be reconciled to the Lord and the church. It's strong words, but we must take sin seriously because God took sin so seriously that he sent his one and only son into the world who bled for us and died for us and rose again in glory. Don't regard one another as enemies, Paul says, quite the opposite. Love one another enough to be bold enough and courageous enough to call each other out in your sin and encourage one another to repent. That's love. Disobedience to God is sin. It's rebellion. It's taking the crown from God's head and placing it on your own head. And we need to take it seriously and we need to help one another take it seriously, pray for one another, encourage one another. And if someone unrepentantly continues in sin, avoid that person. And as always, Paul ends with a great encouragement and blessing to a church that, like ours, on the whole, is faithfully living for Jesus, despite the fact that there were a few issues that needed addressing. Verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Did you feel the urge to look at one another just then? It's the Lord who's going to sustain them. The Lord whose grace has been showered upon them. It's God's love and grace that will convict them to repent and to obey. So what's this mean for us? Well, two things. Firstly, keep up the good work of mission and obedience if that's what you're already doing. If you're already amongst it when it comes to mission and obedience... Keep up the good work. Don't get tired of living for Jesus. Keep your focus on him, not the other rowers. Keep living for Jesus out of love for him, inspired by his love for you. It's the DNA of our church to be missional and to be obedient. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. To those who've been faithfully following Jesus for years and serving him, thank you so much. Keep going. Keep up the good work. To those faithfully supporting this church financially, I say to you, keep up the good work, keep going, and thank you for your support. To those praying for opportunities to share the gospel, praying for God's protection on one another, I say keep up the good work, keep going, well done. Secondly, to those of you who perhaps aren't serving or giving or sharing the gospel, maybe as much as you could or maybe at all, I say get amongst it. 
Talk to Ben how you can get amongst it. Talk to one of the other ministry leaders how you can get amongst it. Jump on board with a church that is faithfully living for Jesus already, faithfully keen to tell others about Jesus, faithfully obeying his word. I say, get amongst it if you're not already. Mission and obedience, it's what we're supposed to be doing. It's what we've been doing for over a decade here in this church and it's what we're going to keep on doing in God's grace. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for our church and we thank you for the way you've grown us in number and godliness and faithfulness and we pray you continue to grow us in faithfulness and godliness. Lord, to those of us who are faithful in mission and obedience, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you enable us to not grow weary, to keep up doing good out of love for Christ, inspired by his love for us. And for those of us who perhaps uh, could be doing more, Lord, I pray you urge us on by the power of your Holy Spirit, inspired by Christ's love, to serve, to give, to be missional, for Jesus' sake and glory. Amen.